well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad you're with me on the program today. We're going to be talking with Dan Eldridge from Maxon Shooter Supplies in Illinois about the continued defiance of the uh, Illinois Gun Registry, right, as part of the Protect Illinois Communities Act. Uh, not only were so-called assault weapons banned, large-capacity magazines banned for uh, manufacture and sale, but existing owners, uh, at least of the uh, firearms, the, uh, uh, you know, quote-unquote uh, assault weapons, were supposed to register or at least to submit an affidavit to the Illinois State Police letting them know that, yes, I, I have possession of these now-banned items. Um, about 29,000? People did so before the January 1st deadline. Illinois State Police releasing some updated data on Monday showing a little bit less than 6,000 additional affidavits have been submitted since then, which brings the total to uh, 34,000 and change out of a, uh, well, there are 2.4 million FOID card holders in the state of Illinois. Now, obviously, not all of them possess items that need to be uh, registered with the state, but compliance does seem to be few and far between uh, as we'll get into with dan very curious to uh, get his thoughts on uh, not only the uh, civil disobedience on display in illinois but the uh, next steps in the lawsuit taking on the lawsuits i should say taking on the protect illinois communities act take a look and a listen dan thanks so much for coming on the program it's good to see you sir likewise cam and I really appreciate uh, the running commentary that you've been providing at maxinshooters.com on the rollout not only of the gun and magazine ban portion of the Protect Illinois Communities Act, but also this you know registry where you've got to submit these affidavits with the Illinois State Police. Deadline was January the 1st. Um, it looked like compliance was really low, right? About, what, uh, 29,000 or so folks uh, uh, issuing their affidavits. Illinois State Police released some new numbers yesterday. About uh, was a shade under 6,000 more individuals uh, filing their affidavits since January the 1st. So now we're up to about 34,000 of a potential body of 2.4 million individuals who need to register their their uh, their, their arms or accessories. Um, now, we we know that not every FOI card holder has an item that, that needs to be registered, but you've done some, I think, some pretty good calculations about where you think that number really is in terms of how many FOI card holders possess an item that the state police says you got to register with us. What do you think... How many FOI card holders do you think are covered uh, under the Protect Illinois Communities Act? Okay, so we've been focused on individuals, not on items. Right. Um, because it's really the individuals that matter. It's the Absolutely. The individual. Are you defying this? Or are you ignorant of it? Whatever. Uh, so 2.4 million FOI cards, and I think that's an old number. They haven't updated that number in, in, in quite some time, but let's, okay. let's use that number. Uh, so you've got 2.4 potential lawful gun owners in Illinois. Uh, the Washington Post did a survey last March of gun owners that came up with 20% of gun owners own an AR rifle. Now, the Washington Post is not exactly a, a organ of the right-wing media. Uh, so let's let's say that that's the, the right number. 20, 20% of gun owners own an AR. Other surveys, the uh, firearms owner survey, put that number at as high as 30%. This ban is much broader than just AR-15s, though, and that 20% number from the Washington Post was just AR-15s, right? This includes AK rifles and pistols. It includes AR pistols. It includes half the catalog of Ruger 1022s. There are 7 million of them out there. It includes many shotguns. So 
using our ratios and, and our members ratios by members, uh, I mean, our member dealers at Federal Firearms Licenses of Illinois, uh, using their ratios of what they sell, uh, we think that the compliance rate is probably about 4.2%. Uh, that's incredibly low. Yeah, it is incredibly low. And again, I think that's a pretty conservative estimate, right? Because we're we're willing to use the gun controller's number, right? Uh, in terms of you know how many people uh, or what percentage of the population would own these items, and you know some of the new figures I, I thought were fascinating. Um, to the Illinois State Police's credit, they've done a pretty good job of outlining the data. Uh, the rules, on the other hand, uh, that's another issue. But the data is you know out there and available for folks to see. And at maxinshooters.com, you've kind of crunched the numbers in terms of the counties with the highest compliance rates and the counties with the lowest compliance rates. And now, again, we're talking about all FOID card holders, right? So the highest rate, um, McLean and Lake counties, where about 1.8% of FOID card holders have filed their affidavits. The bottom 15 counties, the lowest rates of compliance, Pope County were just five individuals, right, representing uh, 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 less than one half of one percent of all Floyd hard, uh, cold harders in the uh, in the county. Uh, Pike County also at zero point four percent. I mean, if the highest rate of compliance in terms of the you know all Floyd card holders is at one point eight percent, Dan, that that that's a sign to me. And by the way, where is Cook County in all of this? Okay, so a couple things. Number one, that's using our measure of what percentage right. of, uh, of FOID cards have uh, FOID card holders have filed an affidavit. Uh, it, Cook County is an interesting case. Cook County is where we are. It's the largest county in in uh, Illinois. It's where Chicago is. It's one of the largest counties in in the United States of America. Uh, Cook County is sitting on the low end of this uh, at 0.9 percent of FOID cards registering, which I thought was very very interesting. Uh, there's a couple things there though. Number one. Cook County and Chicago had pre-existing ordinances uh, banning assault, so-called assault weapons and so-called high-capacity magazines that may have suppressed purchases to some extent. Uh, there are areas of Cook County that are home rule communities where it's perfectly legal. You're exempt from the county regs, uh, for example, in the plains where we are. Uh, any owner possessing in defiance of the bans, though, would be foolish to register. Right. So I think that the the uh, civil disobedience aspect of it in Cook County is probably on the high side. It's it's fascinating. The the whole rollout has been a huge embarrassment for the governor. Uh, This was his signature piece of legislation. And and you've got the law abiding citizens of the state basically thumbing their nose at him and at this process. Uh, He he says that what we're doing is spreading misinformation. Um, Well, uh, we're not spreading misinformation. We're doing the best that we can to back what we think is a reasonable number out. And I agree, not every forty card holder is a gun owner. You've got domestic partners, maybe kids in a household. Fine. But let's just say that for every Ford uh, holder that owns a gun, there's one additional household member holding a Ford, but no gun. Uh, the FOID is an invasive background check. It's absurd to think that that's true, that every Ford gun owner has an accompanying Foid card non-gun owner. Yeah. But even if that's the case, double our numbers and you're still at 8.4% compliance. This sends a really strong message to the governor. And again, we're doing the best we can with the data that we have and right. with what we're hearing. The state police and therefore the governor, they know the real numbers, right? Illinois is a point of contact state. It runs its own background checks for firearm purchase. 
Every gun purchased in the last two years has been through the ISP's system, FTIP. Prior to 2022, private transactions were not included, but now they are. So the state police know which FOID cards are used in background checks, which have not been used, and what type of firearm the FTIP is for. Uh, it's our experience that 98% of FTIP approvals result in a completed sale. So they know the numbers. They could generate these numbers very quickly, or at least some estimate of over the last 10 years, uh, this many, uh, this portion of the FOID card universe has submitted for an FTIP and been approved, right? Mm -hmm. They know the numbers, but they're not saying. Well, why do you suppose that is? <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, I'm guessing it's because they don't like what those numbers would show, right? Um, that they are closer to that 4.2% or maybe the 8.4% than 50% or 60% or 70% or 80%. And, you know, it, it, you're right because Pritzker, going back even a couple of months, I mean, I think back in October, he was, he was asked about, you know, these sort of anemic numbers of uh, of affidavits that have been filed. He said, well, you know, as we get closer to the deadline, I think we're really going to shoot up. And then we got closer to the deadline and the numbers really hadn't increased that much. Said, well, you know, I, I, when, 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 when's January 1st rolls around, I think you'll see. And now it's, you know, again, it's right. It's, it's well, the, uh, you know, the, the gun lobby is putting misinformation out there and, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's, he's always got this. I mean, I'm surprised he hasn't said, well, you know, the sun was in my eyes and that's why I couldn't see what they, how many people have registered their guns. There is always this excuse offered by the governor, but no recognition of reality that there are a lot of gun owners in the state, as well as, frankly, a lot of county sheriffs, some state's attorneys who have said we have no interest in complying with this law or enforcing this law. Right. So, you know, we we believe that there's two obvious aspects to noncompliance. One is civil disobedience, right? Uh, I'm a law-abiding citizen. I, I lawfully, previously lawfully owned uh, this weapon for lawful purposes, be it self-defense, be it competition, whatever. Um, and I just reject that you should be able to tell me what I can and cannot lawfully own and lawfully use. So there's that aspect of it, which I think is huge. There's also a large measure of ignorance of the law. Uh, the, the state police produced a number of documents that are supposed to guide people through, should this be registered, should this not be registered, and all that, and it's incoherent, um, it's, it's full of flaws. So they also didn't promulgate this law very well. They have everybody's mailing address on the FOID card. They could have sent a letter with an explainer to say, this is the law and you have to do this, this, and this. Well, they couldn't figure out that you have to do this, this, and this particularly well. Um, but more than that, you know, there are people out there that own guns that aren't as plugged into gun rights as you and I and, and your audience are. Sure. Uh, they're, they're going about their lives. And who would expect that his or her turkey gun needs to be registered? Who would expect their kid's 1022 rifle needs to be registered, right? You know, so there's that aspect of ignorance of the law as well. Uh, so the rules, the definitions are a mess. Even the people tasked with enforcing this and advocating for this don't know what's in it. Uh, Eric Reinhardt is the Lake County state's attorney. In December, he posted a reminder on the state's attorney Facebook page that you must remember to register your assault weapons and high capacity magazines by December 31st. Governor Pritzker was on TV bragging that now all automatic assault weapons and high-speed, high-capacity magazines must be registered. Well, magazines are not subject to registration. Automatic is nowhere in the act, and frankly, most of the uh, most of the full-auto uh, rifles in Illinois are owned by FFLs or law enforcement who wouldn't be subject to registration either. So 
you've got a state's attorney and the governor that don't understand what's in the law. Why is it reasonable to expect that somebody who's not particularly engaged in the political process and gun rights would know? Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. And this has been one of the frustrating things is that throughout this entire process, I mean, look, obviously we have our constitutional objections to this, right? I, I believe that this is an infringement on our right to keep and bear arms. But even putting the constitutional objections aside for a second, just the practical implementation of this unconstitutional law has been flawed from the get-go. Um, do you think that's by design or do you think that's just incompetence on the part of the government? Do they want to make this as confusing as possible for gun owners or are they just confused themselves and unable to uh, provide gun owners with a straight answer? Well, there's a couple of ways to look at that and 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 I can't know what their true intentions are. The, the, the cynic would say that they don't particularly care about this, but that this was done as a sop to the um, to the, the the North Shore liberals and and fund and, and donors for political reasons that they really don't expect this to um, to have any 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 impact whatsoever. Well, okay, um, you have the governor and the state police saying we're not going to prosecute anyone who registers after January first in an effort to get the numbers up. So what they're suggesting is that if you miss the deadline that you memorialize forever the fact that you possessed a firearm in violation of the law. We're not going to prosecute. Well, of course, they have they they have uh, discretion not to prosecute or not to arrest. But that doesn't mean that some local prosecutor, state's attorney, who, who really wants to make a name for his or herself, that doesn't enjoin them from doing that. So now you've committed to a, a signed affidavit under penalty of perjury that you violated the law. That's insanity. Why would anybody do that? Yes, the registry has to stay open for people who move into Illinois with banned items. They need they according to the law, they have to be able to register. But to encourage people to commit in an affidavit that they're breaking the law is insanity. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Um, and again, I think that's one of the reasons why those numbers are going to stay. Uh, one of the reasons why those numbers are going to stay suppressed. Now, Dan, you mentioned the federal firearms licensees of Illinois. Um, you are one of the litigants. We've got close to a half dozen lawsuits um, that have been filed in state and federal court. Can you give our viewers and listeners an update as to where exactly this federal litigation stands at the moment? Because I know it's confusing. It's gone up to the Seventh Circuit. It's gone back down to the trial court judge. We've got a couple of different judges who are hearing these cases. So where is the FFL of Illinois case currently? So we're combined. We're one of four cases that are combined in the Southern District uh, under Judge Stephen McGlynn. Uh, we had sought an en banc review at the 7th, and there were no votes uh, in the 7th Circuit to hear uh, en banc, full panel, to hear the preliminary injunction uh, uh, appeal. Everything that's happened so far has been pretrial maneuvering. It hasn't been on the merits of the case. I mean, there is an element of merits in granting an injunction. But so we won an injunction last April from Judge McGlynn. The state appealed up to the 7th. The cases in the Northern District did not get any injunctive relief, and the seven said we'll take them all. In a bizarre uh, opinion, uh, Judge Wood and uh, Easterbrook uh, decided that uh, AR-15s look a lot like M-16s, therefore they're banned. Well, number one, that's not the way it works. That's not the standard. And, and number two, no, they don't. And number three, what about everything else? What about the turkey guns with the thumbhole stock, right? So it was a very odd uh, opinion, but it goes back down to the district court now. Um, 
we are on an accelerated schedule with Judge McGlynn to hear this on the merits. I think that by mid-April, we should have a decision at the district court level. I think it will be very favorable for us. We have the facts on our side. We have the law on our side. We have the Constitution on our side. Uh, and, and Judge McGlynn has been very, very perceptive in all of his uh, uh, questions during orals and his very well-written uh, opinion granting our injunction last year. So mid-April, we should have something out of the district court. Whoever loses is going to uh, appeal that to the seventh, most likely. I do not know if that goes to the same appeals panel or if it's a fresh panel. Uh, then that'll be another 90 days, let's say. And from there, uh, if we lose there, it will be on to the Supreme Court, possibly an en banc review, but we would want to be in front of the Supreme Court for next term, which starts in October. So what that means, Cam, is that worst case, we're living with this thing for another 18 months, which I hate, but that's the world we live in. You know, the, the wheels of justice grind slowly and all that. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm confident that we'll win in the end. Um, it's it's just a long, expensive fight. And if people want to help support us, uh, you can go to FFLIL.org and click the donate button. Uh, these are not tax deductible donations unless you're engaged in the business. And then you would need to check with your tax advisor. Uh, Second Amendment Law Center, Chuck Michelle, uh, he's our lead attorney. Uh, I believe that's a 501c3, which would be uh, deductible. But again, you need, to, you need to assess your own situation. Second Amendment Law Center, FFLIL.org. Uh, this is going to be an expensive fight getting through, uh, especially getting through the, uh, the this first stage, because Judge McGlynn has said he wants to go through every rifle and and have a discussion about its military use. Uh, that's that's a lot of work and it's not going to go well for the state. I can tell you that. Yeah, that's the thing. Right. I mean, Judge McGlynn's decisions, I think, have been good. I know there was that appeal in December. Uh, for a request for a preliminary injunction on the registration. And at that point, the Seventh Circuit had basically already struck down his earlier uh, injunction. I don't think he wanted to go through this fight again with the Seventh Circuit. So he said, well, I'm inclined to let this take effect. Uh, but he did say something about, you know, revisiting the issue or, or being open to revisiting the issue, depending on the amount of compliance. Right. So is that something that you anticipate will come about when we get a decision from Judge McGlynn, let's say in April or in the spring sometime? Or could we see another request for an injunction before then based on the lack of compliance, either, again, civil disobedience or ignorance of the law, but the sheer lack of compliance to date? Uh, uh, Judge McClendon has made it clear that he wants to get to the meat of the matter. Okay. Uh, he, he wants to have hearings on the merits. And any further maneuvering and, and injunctive relief is just going to further delay things. We've burned a year. Um, with the injunctions. It was the right thing to do. We were mm -hmm. very disappointed with what happened in the seventh, but here we are. Uh, now it's the main event. And uh, again, I'm, I'm confident that we'll prevail. We've got tremendous support from gun owners in Illinois and nationwide, and, and we're thankful. Uh, we're, we're very thankful for that. Absolutely. You know, I got to ask, Dan, I mean, we talk about the effect, obviously, on our constitutional rights, um, but what has been the effect of, of this gun law, this gun control law, on businesses like yours and FFLs around the the state. I mean, obviously FFLs are suing, but you know, how detrimental has this law been to businesses like yours? Uh it, for some it's been it's been disastrous. Uh, you know, there are there are businesses that are built around long guns and um yeah, it's it's been very very hard up to you know we we have members that have lost up to 50% of their business uh because of this. And 
it, it's it's a real shame um, because you cannot ever get that back. And and that frankly was one of the best reasons for uh, for injunctive relief. While this thing is getting argued out in court, you return to the status quo if it's being challenged because you can't undo that harm. You can't undo the infringement on people's rights for a year, for 18 months while this thing gets litigated. You can't unring that bell. And uh, unfortunately, the, uh, Judge Easterbrook and Wood didn't see it that way. Yeah, with that, as you say, that bizarre decision that uh, AR-15s and the like aren't even protected by the uh, Second Amendment. Um, you know, again, that's what you all are up against in Illinois, and we certainly um, support your fight. I would encourage folks, uh, as Dan said, get involved, even if you don't live in Illinois, um, go to the Second Amendment Law Center, go to the FFL of Illinois page, and do what you can to, uh, to help support the men and women who are fighting the good fight uh, there in Illinois, because this is a fight, frankly, that impacts each and every one of us, no matter where we live. Uh, Dan, thank you again for all your activism. Thank you for joining me on the program today. I hope that we get a chance to connect again very soon. Thank you, Cam. My thanks to Dan for joining us on the program. Looking forward to having him back again very soon. Now let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, which is a doozy. Uh, our good deed of the day and our recidivist report. Don't honestly have a ton of information about this. came from Troy, New York. The reason why I, I uh, brought this up is because, you know, obviously New York lawmakers doing everything they can to criminalize our right to keep and bear arms. So what happens when you actually run across somebody who's not lawfully uh, carrying a firearm, but instead using in the commission of a violent crime? Well, they get a plea deal, a slap on the wrist, and they're sent on their way. Michael Hepp from Troy, New York, was arrested back uh, last July, shortly after 8 a.m. He was arrested for uh, stealing money from the Hainer farm, um, although he was also accused of threatening employees with a weapon, which to me turns that from stealing into armed robbery, right? He was found nearby. He was arrested. He ended up taking a plea deal in November to third-degree robbery, so that would suggest that armed robbery was on the table, at least until prosecutors say, hey, uh, Michael, <clears throat> why don't you just plead guilty to this charge and in return... We'll make sure that you don't go to prison because that's exactly what happened. He got five years of probation for what amounts to an armed robbery. Meanwhile, if you are a lawful gun owner with a concealed carry license and you carry in one of New York's many sensitive spaces, right? Oh, you're looking at more than five years probation. You're looking at time behind bars. Again, this is the untenable status quo in the Empire State, where law-abiding gun owners, people who are exercising their right to keep and bear arms, are treated as if they are more dangerous than armed robbers themselves. I say it's untenable, but so far, the courts have allowed this status quo to stand. Hopefully, that is not going to be the case when uh, Antinuk versus Negrelli and some of the other cases get up to the uh, Supreme Court in due time. Uh, today's armed citizen story from Mississippi, where a sheriff is commending a mom for shooting a home invader in order to protect her three children. This was in uh, Carroll County, Mississippi. Deputies got a call for help on Monday from a woman's husband. He's at work. In Greenwood, he said, uh, listen, my wife just called. There's a guy trying to get into the house. Um, they're hiding in the closet, my wife and kids. He described the suspect, described the vehicle that he was in. His wife was able to relay that information. When deputies arrived at the family's home, 
The suspect, identified as 44-year-old Steve Lamar Goss Jr., had already driven away, according to a press release. But deputies say before Goss left the property, he actually drove his truck into the home's dining room after he could not kick the front door down. While this is all happening, again, he's using his truck basically as a uh, sledge to gain entry to the house. Mom and three kids are in a closet, which they had already designated apparently as a family safe room. They they knew that's where they needed to go. Mom was saying prayers. Kids were reading scriptures. Goss entered the home, entered the bedroom, and opened the door to that closet, holding a knife. That's when the mom shot Goss, hit him in the arm, and Goss fled. Carroll County Sheriff Clint Walker said, We can learn a lot from this family about the importance of having an emergency plan in place in our homes, and most importantly, the power of prayer. said, I thank the Lord for this father's preparation, the bravery shown by this mother and children, and what could have been a tragedy was transformed into a testimony of their faith in God. Uh, Goss was arrested inside a uh, store a short distance away from the home. He was taken to the hospital to be treated for his gunshot wound and then uh, booked into the Carroll Montgomery Regional Correctional Facility on four counts of attempted murder, as well as one count of burglary. He was already out on felony bond for possession of a weapon by a convicted felon, according to the Carroll County Sheriff's Office, and uh, now facing again even more serious charges. Thankfully, again, nobody injured except for the intruder, because as the sheriff says, the family had a plan. You know, we might think that crime is rare, and most of us will never have to experience a home invasion. But if, God forbid, you are one of the unlucky few, it is always a good idea to have a plan in place to know what you're going to do. And in this case, that may very well have saved the lives of four individuals there in Carroll County, Mississippi. Finally today, our good deed of the day in the right place at the right time. Well, I'm able to do the right thing. A, a good Samaritan in Wyoming. I believe this is Wyoming. Maybe it was Utah. Uh, Wasatch County, Utah. Yeah. Who was able to save a, a tanker driver after a nasty wreck in whiteout conditions. It was in, uh, uh, again, Wasatch County, Utah. Ken Ashton was driving his truck when another car slid across the roadway towards him. He then tried to avoid the car, ended up leaving the roadway, overturning and going down an embankment. Tyler Mahoney, who was another driver on the road, saw what happened. Visibility less than 15 feet because of the storm at the time. There were a lot of drivers who were going off the road. Mahoney, in fact, had just pulled over into a parking lot of the driveway, and he spotted the tanker truck. He said, I was ahead of my dad who I was waiting for. And you drive down into it maybe 20 yards, and you can see a gully that leads to a lake. And down in that gully was a huge tanker, a double trailer tanker with hazards flashing tipped over on its side, which he said had obviously happened within the last little bit in the storm. So he got out of his vehicle. He walked through the snow to the wreckage, and he discovered Aston was conscious, but it was inside the overturned cab, his head sticking out of the driver's side window. He had been injured in the crash. He was covered in crude oil. The tank apparently burst during the roll and filled the cab with oil, uh, singeing his legs. Mahoney was able to kick out enough of the windshield to get the driver out of the truck. And then his dad showed up with a snowmobile, which they used to get the driver back up onto the highway, took multiple uh, ambulances and more than two hours for Ashton to get to a hospital because of all of the uh, uh, trouble on the roads because of the weather. And again, thankfully, it looks like this driver is going to be okay because of the quick thinking and fast actions of Tyler Mahoney and his dad in the right place at the right time and willing and able to do the right thing. All right, that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as always. Looking forward to being back with you on 
Thursday, just a reminder that I will be out tomorrow. And if you are the praying kind, I certainly would appreciate your prayers for Miss E as we uh, deal with a, another procedure. I won't get into too much information here, but um, this could be a big one. So I certainly would appreciate your prayers and your uh, your good thoughts. We'll be back with you again on Thursday. Until then, be sure to check out BarryAndArms.com. We'll get you covered on all the latest Second Amendment news and information. If you like what you see, I'd encourage you to become a VIP or VIP Gold member. Just go to BarryAndArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your membership while we give you exclusive content you won't find anywhere else as our way of saying thanks. Because your support really does make a difference, and it does matter. So thank you for your support. Looking forward to being back with you again very soon. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.